We're really happy to join us this morning as we celebrate Easter. And we're actually celebrating the single greatest event to ever happen in the history of mankind. Christ is risen!
this next song we're going to sing, um, it's about the name of Jesus and how amazing it is. In the first chorus, we're going to sing what a beautiful name. Then we're going to sing what a wonderful name. Then we're going to sing what a powerful name. And there's reasons for all this. It's beautiful. His name is so beautiful because of his mercy and many other things. His name is wonderful because of grace. His name is powerful because of his promise.
does. And God, we thank you right now. We're humbled by what you did, what you did for us. It's, um, it's almost too much to comprehend. So, Lord, we just want to praise you and thank you for it. We hold up this church and every heart beating in it right now, Lord. You know our needs. You know our love. Draw us closer to you. And now, God, because uh, Easter was so triumphant, we want to celebrate you.
invisible. We were part of the church from the very beginning. How the phone was through the people. So what is Jesus doing in my life? You know, being married and having kids. He's definitely teaching me how to be filled with grace, how to ask for forgiveness, how to be forgiving, not to feel like I have to have it all together all the time. Jesus is continually drawing me to my knees in many different ways. Entering into worship with the community, though, is very important and something that I just feel drawn closer to those around me when I worship with them. So another big part is Steve and his sermons, uh, the depth that he gets into God's Word, and the way he challenges us and calls us to action. It has this sort of family feel, and everyone there is accepting and ready to embrace you from day one. I love the way that it just feels so open, everyone is invited. Uh, everyone is really like a brother and sister in Christ and uh, just not close up at all. I would say at La Jolla Community Church is a church seeking to be alive in Christ. That it's a body of simple humans coming together trying to do better. Don't waste any time thinking you have to get it together or look a certain way or, or be a certain way. Um, don't hesitate. This church is ready to accept you and embrace you as you are. Um, and I'm living proof of that.
my notes from the last time I got up here. So I'm going to talk here. Actually, I got started at the very end. Uh, we out for brunch earlier that way. Uh, so Christ is risen indeed. I'll say Christ is risen as you've heard, and you say Christ is risen indeed, right? So Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. So you say that with enthusiasm and confidence. Imagine the first day that was proclaimed. Christ is risen. What was the response? You're kidding me. No way. How could it be? Uh, impossible. Maybe. Are you sure? Did you go to the right tomb? We say it with so much conviction, so much power, because we've seen all the examples of the cross being powerful, the resurrection being efficacious, effective. And so for us, Christ is risen is truly something we can say with confidence, but it wasn't initially so. In fact, one of Jesus' first, uh, one of his core disciples first said, uh, I'm hearing the news, I won't believe it. I can't believe it. We don't have doubting Thomas. He said, unless I see it with my eyes and touch it with my hand. And of course, Jesus then comes into his presence and blows him away. His response is not profanity, but a profound sense of encounter with the living God. Oh, my God. And Jesus says, blessed are you for having seen, you believe, having touched, you believe. Blessed are those who, yet having not seen, uh, have believed. You can imagine uh, the, the, the dislocation of that first morning. Uh, we left it on Good Friday uh, in that sense that, that God has had turned his face away. And somebody said to me afterwards, how could that be? How could, how could, how could God turn his face away? And let the wrath of God, the sins of the world, just collapse on Jesus, crushing him. Don't you think those people had a sense of hope that it was going to be okay? And, and of course, we left Friday night with the, the clear confirmation that no. And that was the point. It was this incredible uh, lack of any hope whatsoever that puts this day in such stark contrast uh, to uh, Good Friday. And so we see after the Sabbath at dawn, this is in Matthew chapter 28, the first uh, verses of Matthew's Gospel. After the Sabbath at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. What did they go to do? We don't know. Uh, in other uh, Gospels, it says that some women went with spices and other things to to um, um, see that the body was prepared properly for death because it was a hasty burial on Friday. But in this case, it just says they went to look. What were they looking at? What were they looking for? Maybe just a, a sense of, of that deep grief and loss that you have. If you've lost someone that you love, that deep penetrating to the bone grief and loss. And, and it might be uh, a pet. It might be uh, the love of your life. It might be a dear friend, a, a distant relative. But you know that gnawing sense of emptiness and loss that, ah, it's over. Not finished in a triumphal way, but it's over. And so they went to look at the tomb. And then there was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. It's almost comical. But it's not. It's, it's, it's shocking. His appearance was like lightning. And its clothes were white as snow. This is not the, the, the angels I saw in Italy. I'm telling you right now. The angels I saw in Italy were cute, little pooties you could cuddle. Uh, you could poke them like a marshmallow and it would bounce back. 
Uh, inoffensive, uh, non-threatening, they would not instill fear in anybody. A baby would giggle, and the rest of us would too. And so what's going on here? This angel appearing like lightning and, and clothed as, uh, like white as snow, the guards, the hardened Roman guards, the strongest, most powerful army in the world at that time, the Roman legions, invincible, impregnable, overwhelming, were like dead men. And he shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, wait a minute, the Roman, the Roman guards are like dead men and he's still talking to the women? Okay, can we just recognize this for a moment here? After all the men have fainted, there's some women still to uh, talk to about what's going on here. Uh, having come to look at the tomb, now they're looking at this extraordinary situation. Uh, no, no doubt, dumbstruck by it. Am I dreaming this? Is this, is this really happening? And, and the Roman guards, and maybe they were tiptoeing around, we don't want to get in their way, we don't want to call any attention to ourselves, all of a sudden they're boom, down. And the angel says to them, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. For I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said. Uh, I think this echoes down throughout history, isn't it? Isn't it that kind of a thing? The echo, the echo, the echo of don't be afraid. I know you're looking for Jesus. I encounter people all the time. Sometimes people will come to church and uh, I'll, I'll meet them because they're with somebody and they'll, they'll uh, the guy will say, you just to clarify things. Look, I'm a scientist. <laughs> okay, you're welcome. Yeah. I'm an engineer. And, and the implied message is, I have a hall pass. I'm not really to this faith thing. I'm not naive about anybody else here, but I am with my chick, and we're going to brunch. <laughs> and so I'm here uh, out of pure obedience and, and compliance, uh, so don't get carried away. Uh, I'm just telling you, I'm fully defending. <laughs> and as much as I see that and respect that, I think, you are afraid and you're looking for Jesus. You are afraid and you're looking for Jesus. Not that you're probably fearful. But you're afraid that if you were to let that guard down and say, hey, by the way, I'm an engineer, and I'm an atheist, or I'm an agnostic, I'm processing this stuff. I don't know if this is true. I don't think it is. But I'm here. I'm with this woman who I really respect, and, and she seems to have this Bible faith. I don't know why. I'm getting to know her. But I'm here. I just want you to know. I'm checking it out. That would seem to me you're recognizing that, that there's a fear there. I don't want to look stupid believing in this crazy story about you and your imaginary friend. But having them come to know Jesus, what do you say? I can't imagine life without it. I'm no longer afraid. I just lament the fact that I didn't get to know him sooner. But the whole world is afraid and looking for Jesus. But because we've seen so many faux examples of what Jesus is supposed to be, we give up the search and say, there's no Jesus to be found. I'm still afraid, but Jesus isn't in the, in the contention anymore. I hope I find something that can fill this hole in me, that can fulfill this yearning that I have in me. Because my life maybe is totally together, but there's still something missing. One of the most perfect people I ever knew, uh, uh, she was an incredibly classically trained musician. She was gorgeously beautiful, really well-educated, super great character, and she was a new believer. And, and she was, um, uh, I was you know, in my late teens, and she was in, in about 30, and, and these friends that I got to know through this church, and. I said, 
So why did you become a Christian? You seem to have it all together. She said, that was the problem. I came to a place where I realized I'm the most moral person. I do the right things. I'm, she's saying it. I mean, completely humbly. I'm talented. I'm motivated. I'm disciplined. I'm fun. I, I have a great marriage. And at the end of the day, I thought, but why is there still something missing? And she said, I finally met somebody who can articulate my fear. You're afraid of either being disappointed or looking silly for believing in something that all your sophisticated, sophisticated friends have passed on. So this was the, the situation. And so the angel says, come and see the place where he lay. If there's any doubt in your mind what's going on here, come see. It's an empty tomb. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Well, they're in Jerusalem, and this is far north in Israel and Galilee. So Jesus apparently is going to meet uh, his disciples there. Now I have told you, the angel said. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid, yet filled with joy. Uh, I know that feeling, maybe you do too. As just as we know the feeling of grief and loss and that emptiness, that hollowness of feeling like everything that happened to me is, is done. Now there's a sense of anticipation that thrill, that fear, that makes you feel completely alive, which is a joy that is driving you, not fear anymore. There's a sense of expectation that I think it might be true. I think this might be a divine appointment that I'm on the beginning of the, of the rest of my life. So they ran to tell the disciples this. And suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. What would you do if you saw Jesus having risen from the grave? Because having seen him on the cross and seen what he looked like when they took him off the cross and when they put him into the tomb, uh, it was not like this. It would have been a case of revulsion and sympathy all mixed together. Dear God, what did they do to you? And it wouldn't have been a coherent conversation. But here they see him transformed by the resurrection. Something that we can't quite understand. It's a mystery wrapped in an enigma. How did God come into the world still being God and being a human being? Take the sins of the world upon himself. Face death itself. Defeat death. Rise again from the grave. What would he look like? So he was in this transformed state. And they see him. And what do they do? They just fall on their faces and worship him. Perhaps you've had that feeling. If not, I hope you do. That sense of being able to simply fall at the feet of Christ. Not as an act of humiliation, but as humble worship, saying, this is so good, I don't, if this is a dream, I don't want to wake up. This is so good. I am, I am enveloped in love. I'm enveloped in a sense of well-being, though everything in my world has just been thrown upside down. This is the, the context. So Jesus said to them, don't be afraid. Well, they're not afraid at this point, but they're probably thinking, now what? So in that sense, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. If you think this is good, it gets better. Don't tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. So, so here's the first big idea of the morning. The first point. Easter celebrates two disruptive realities. Whether you believe it or not, accept it or not, commit to it or not, this is what Easter celebrates. Two disruptive realities that change the course of human history and gives hope to every person ever born. It's an empty tomb and an open room. 
two disruptive realities that have changed human history and give hope to every human being who's ever walked the planet. An empty tomb and an open road. Jesus is risen from the grave and Jesus is on the move. That's either thrilling you or completely scary you. He's out of the tomb and he's on the move. If you went to the San Diego Zoo this week and you're standing there with your friends, going, hey, where's the lion? And so you say, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. The gate's open. You would not feel really good. Uh, you'd be a little nervous. And if you hear this, you know, it would, it would not be a good day. Jesus is alive and on the move. This is either the greatest news you could ever hope to hear, or, dear God, what could that possibly mean? What's it like to encounter this Jesus? Is he going to be upset that we pushed him out of the world at the end of a bloody stick? Is this big payback? It's, a, it's an empty tomb, it's an open road, and only one thing is required. That's the second big point. Only one thing is required of us. It's an open heart. It's an open heart. When Jesus encountered those women, he didn't say, before we go any further, let me just evaluate your worthiness to be in my presence. Let me just evaluate the level of knowledge you might have about this event so you really understand what this is. Instead, he greeted them, and they, they fell in the seat and worshiped him. They opened their hearts to him. They opened their lives to him. And he still says to them, don't be afraid, because the implications of that, again, fear and joy, commingle. This is the most exciting thing I've ever encountered. But now, what are the implications of this? You know, that's the thing. I used to think that, that the empty tomb was God's greatest miracle. I mean, after all, he, he, he calls nothingness uh, and says, let there be light. Out of the darkness, he says, let there be light. Boom, there's light. He creates the world, the Bible tells us. The Bible also tells us that, that, that Jesus holds the whole world together. I mean, you know, the, the four laws of physics, we can explain uh, a lot of it. But all of a sudden, we realize there's something we don't understand. How does the world, all the universe, hold together? Well, the Bible tells us Jesus holds it together. And all the miracles that you see Jesus doing throughout the scripture validated, historically validated miracles. They could have been so easily refuted, but they stood the test of time. Not because people were naive or not skeptical, but because people were convinced that whatever else we make of this, it happened. This guy was blind, this guy now sees. That woman was bleeding to death, she seemed to be healed. Those people didn't have anything to eat, and thousands of them just ate on, on other occasions. He seemed to be able to command nature. All those miracles to me are completely impressive. But as I've thought about it over the years, the most impressive miracle that goes beyond all those is this. And this is the third point of the morning. I believe that the greatest miracle is God entering a human heart. You think about that. It's dark, let there be light. The seas are rough, he calms the seas. Disease, overwhelming people, he, he, he heals the person and banishes the disease. But when it comes to the human heart, he represents, the, he, 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 I should say he respects the fact that you've got to open your heart to him. He didn't greet them and say, hey, here I am, worship me. You should be worshiping me. What do you think? He simply greeted them and welcomed them, and they worshipped him. They opened their hearts. So this is the most profound thing to me, that having opened their hearts, God could come into a person's life. So when we say open your heart, 
We don't just mean the organ. We mean the core of who you are. Heart, soul, mind, and strength. You would open your life to the living God. The greatest miracle that, that I can imagine is God, somehow God being God, entering into our lives in a way that doesn't destroy our personhood, but brings us into a right heart, a right mind. Reconciles us to himself and gives us the sense of personhood that we were created to experience. A wholeness, uh, what the Bible calls the shalom of God. The peace of God that passes understanding. It somehow knits all of us together, makes us congruent, inside and outside. Heart, soul, mind, and strength, our emotions, our intellect, everything coming together in Him. And I love the fact that Jesus said, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. So it's not like God has done all this just so he can invite himself to dinner. But rather, God is saying, I did all this so that we could be in a close, personal, intimate relationship with one another. I love this painting. Um, one of my favorite paintings. It's, it's by a, a, a guy named Holman Hunt. And it hangs in one of the colleges at Oxford University. And it's a stunningly beautiful painting. In fact, the two, uh, uh, two people from my service came. Uh, one guy who got his PhD Oxford, the other one who taught mathematics, and he said, We love that painting. That painting is so inspiring to see. And they, they, they then filled in a part of that story I didn't know. They said, you know, Holman Hunt, because the painting's only about this big, but Holman Hunt created a larger painting, a larger version, a, a life-size version, practically, and sent it to St. Paul's Cathedral in London. What's going on here? And I love the symbolism, too. The fact that Jesus is knocking on a door that has no handle on his side. If you invite me in, I will come in and meet with you. I love the fact that it's hanging in Oxford, the, the lantern. There's no knowledge without the knowledge of God. All of our knowledge, all of our yearning, all of our creativity is incomplete, but for God being present in us. And not only illuminating our lives, but animating our lives with His resurrection power to take all of our creativity, all of our ideation, all of our innovation to a place where it actually honors and glorifies Him and blesses people. Everything we do, as wonderful as it is, will always be inherently limited and undermined, perhaps even sabotaged, but for him in fellowship with us, and us in fellowship with him. And so this profound thing that Jesus says, I'm going to ask you to invite me in to be so closely in relationship with you to make all the rest of life come together. I can't think of any more fun, actually, than being with family or friends, hanging out, uh, eating. And the best part is when you're hanging out and eating and then you're planning the next meal. That's even better. That's what gets better. Then you know you're practically Italian or something. You know? um, and that's what God is inviting us to do. This empty tomb, this open road, leading to an open heart. So he asked that question, is yours open? Is your heart open? You see, this is the scandal of the cross. That the beautiful song that the choir just said, the power of the cross is rooted in a scandal of the cross. And scandalous in that, why would God do it? You and I don't like to be around people who bum us out. And if you know that somebody resents you, hates you, or is indifferent to you, would you go out of your way to give your life for them? That's what God did. It's scandalous. That, well, wait a minute, God? That's, that's what hangs up a lot of people that say, God is too perfect. It makes no sense that God could or would do what he did. And yet he did. And this is the scandal of the cross. The shocking, audacious, outrageous nature of what God has done. 
And this is what constitutes the miracle of the empty tomb, that God fulfills the promises he made to Israel and to all humanity. And it's this open road in which God seeks us out and invites us to know him. It's not true that all roads lead to God, but it is true that God is on a road that leads to us if we'll only open and respond to him appropriately, accordingly. And so he makes possible the miracle of salvation, that life comes together in a way that it was meant to come together, that leads to human transformation in Jesus Christ. And where does moral authority come from? Moral authority doesn't come up with writing better laws or better rules, more regulations, a bigger compliance document, because everything humanly can be gained, right? Moral authority comes from being a transformed person in Christ, whose moral authority comes from the fact that he has taken on the sins of the world perfectly. He fulfills the promises of God perfectly. He meets us where we are, gives us exactly what we need perfectly. And so that's why he had the authority to say, I've come that you might have life. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live. Come to me, follow me, trust in me. These aren't empty expressions from our imaginary friend. These are the solid, Christ is risen indeed statements of the living God. I love the way that the, <laughs> the raging rabbi, Saul, who came to be the ardent uh, activist, follower of Jesus Christ as, as an apostle, said it this way, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ. God was bringing the world together in reconciliation with himself, not counting people's sins against them. All this talk about the, the sins of the world on Christ, it's not that he's, he's saying, oh, that's not a big deal. Every murders once in a while, cheats, steals, lies. It's not that big of a deal. Rather, it's such a big deal that you can't do anything about it. But because I'm going to do something about it, I'm not holding the fact that you're a sinner against you. I'm saying, this is an offense to me and my creation that I'm going to take care of. That you can be reconciled to me. You can be reconciled to yourself. You can be reconciled to the people around you. What is impossible for us, we remain imprisoned in the tomb of our own heart, our own head. And Christ alone makes it possible for us to be set free. Some may experience our own resurrection, our own transformation ultimately in Christ. But to make that happen, he died on the cross as the ultimate sacrifice for our sin. He rose from the grave to break the power of death so that we could know him. So that we could know him. It's all about relationship with him. And so I ask you the question, provocative and personal, maybe impertinent. Impertinent, you know, but worth asking the question, do you know him? Do you know him? Well, I grew up in a Christian home. I didn't ask you that. Do you know him? Well, I believe he probably existed. Do you know him? Well, you know, I've had a lot of problems, and uh, God has answered my prayer. Okay, would you just open your heart to him? Well, as a matter of fact, I've pretty much concluded that life makes no sense. I'm thinking of maybe ending it after this service. I just want to have one last hurrah. Okay, if you're going to do that, would you open your heart to him? You see, every, every answer that we seek is rooted in a relationship with the living God. <coughs> Let that sink in. Truth is embodied in him. Love is embodied in him. Hope is embodied in him. Grace, every great attribute you can think of, is in him. And you have full access to him 
by faith. Do you know him? And here's what it means to know him. You receive him. You grow strong in him. You thrive in him. Uh, you see in your bulletin this postcard. It says thrive. Don't just survive. Thrive. It's a sermon series we're beginning next week. What we want to do in the last uh, couple months, we've been going through Matthew's Gospel saying, what's the content of this faith? Because this is a content-rich faith. It's not wishful thinking about religious things. It's, it's the rich content that God himself reveals to us in Christ. And so now we want to talk about the implications of that. Where do you go with this? What does it mean to walk with him, to be in a relationship with him, to be his apprentice, a student of Jesus, most importantly, a friend of Jesus? And that's what we want to talk about in this series. So, so it's going from living your life to thriving in life. And we want you to be a, a part of that, no matter where you are. You might be that person saying, I'm exploring this, I'm not really convinced yet. You're welcome to be a part of that. You might be saying, you know, I've sort of grown indifferent to it. Well, this might be a, a, a season of renewal for you as you go through this thrive process. But that's the point. That's why we gather this day to proclaim that Christ is risen. That Christ is risen indeed. Would you join me now? Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. And so, Lord Jesus, we thank you for that. What would be impossible for us is possible for you. What would be beyond reach for us is nearer hand. What leaves us wondering if anybody knows or cares is answered in you saying, I'm here because I care for you. So, Lord, we receive you by faith through your grace. We want to grow strong in you through your abiding presence in us and the power of your word transforming our lives. We want to thrive, Lord, in every season, like a garden, in season and out, thriving in you, whether in full bloom and blossoming or being pruned uh, and in the ground. We want to, Lord, experience life in all its fullness because that's what you promised to bring. In your name we pray, in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Well, we are so blessed to have you here with us on this Easter Sunday. My name is Michelle LeBeau, and I oversee community life here at the church, which means basically I love connecting people with opportunities to grow in their faith, to meet other people, to serve the Lord in and through this church. And if you're here for the first time, we would love to come alongside you wherever you are in your faith journey to help you take those next steps. Uh, one of the things we'd love for you to do is visit our guest info table, which is right outside the doors if you leave. Um, make a sharp left, and uh, we have these beautiful um, geraniums for all the women that are first-time visitors, and we have um, fun little gift cards for the men, thinking that they may not want a flower. Um, but uh, that's for you as our gift for um, being with us today, and all we ask is for you to give us your email address. We send out weekly emails that are chock full of all the wonderful things God is doing in and through this church, ways for you to get connected. Speaking of um, Thrive, the little card that's in your bulletin, we will have, we are a church that's rooted in life groups. We have small groups that meet throughout the week, once a week or twice a month. Um, men's groups, women's groups, mixed groups, couples groups, young couples, uh, couples with kids, couples not you know, couples married, couples, you know, all sorts of things. Uh, so we would love for you to be in a small group because that's where we believe that God really transforms lives. 
uh, where you can be in a group to study God's word, to encourage one another in the faith, and to pray with one another, and just to know that you have uh, a little tribe of people that are uh, in your corner at all times. So we, we want that for everyone here. You can sign up for a life group out on the patio. Those life groups will be doing a Thrive study in conjunction with the sermon series. So um, that's exciting. Uh, let's see. There was something else I was going to say. Well, in the moment, the ushers will come forward to receive our gifts to the Lord. We give because God gave his son, his one and only son, to give us that abundant life. We give because we're grateful for all that he has given us, and we know that he's going to do amazing things through our gifts. So um, join us in that in just a moment. And then finally, if you need prayer for anything, or maybe there was something today that touched your heart and you just would like to ask a question, maybe today is the day that you decide to follow Jesus. We have people in our prayer garden in front of the sanctuary who are there to say a brief prayer with you, to hear you out, and you can also write your prayer requests on this form on your bulletin. We send those out to our prayer chain. Uh, hundred prayer warriors that will be praying for you this week. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the abundant blessings you give us each and every day. Lord, we want to join you in the work that you are doing to redeem the lost in our city and in our world. So we give back to you now because we know that you will use these gifts to touch more lives for your glory and your purpose. Amen. One life. 
heart to him. Open your hands to him. Open your mind to him. Open every aspect of your life to him. And you will thrive in him. The empty tomb, that open road, that open heart, that means transformation. So now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord who loves you more than you can ask or imagine give you everything you need to walk in newness and fullness of life with him starting today, continuing today, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.